Welcome to another episode of Fight the Burnout. Today we have uh, somebody who I've been wanting to interview for a little while. He is a connection through my buddy Brad, who's also a mentor of mine. Uh, and he's doing some cool stuff, which I'm excited to talk about. Some things that I've kind of thought about in myself. How can I do stuff that is going to push my mind to the limit through my body? Uh, and so I'm looking forward to it. We have Akshay uh, today. Uh, he is actually preparing to walk across the Antarctic. I know he's going to tell us all about it and all the little nitty de details, so I won't go into that. But as I always like to start these podcasts, they are sponsored by my business, Create From Why, where we help and get people to live from their purpose and their passion and eliminate burnout through that uh, for you law enforcement out there. Uh, but I want you to take one thing away from today. Get your notebook, you know, write down a whole bunch of different things, but then at the end of it, just take that one thing and start taking action on it. We're overloaded with information and tools. We have Google University. We can, you know, Google anything and find anything. You got AI now that'll write things for you. We're not lacking information. We're lacking action. So let's take some action, do that today. So without further ado, Akshay, why don't you take it away? Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you are. I know you're, you know, a Marine, you know, ex, uh, you're a vet. Sorry, my tongue not working. You're a vet. You know, from Marine Corps, you've done stuff in there. I'm interested to hear about that. You've got friends that are law enforcement. You, you know, you've done some fire stuff. You you also do a lot of crazy fitness stuff, which I know is going to be where we connect because I like to push my body because that's the only place that my, I feel my mind can crack um, or that I can train it. So, um, Akshay, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, man. So the, the thing that got me here, you know, I was born in India, grew up there, uh, lived uh, in India, Singapore, moved to Austin, Texas at 13. Very soon after moving here to the US, I got very heavily into drugs, alcohol, used to cut myself, burn myself, very, very self-destructive, lost two friends to addiction, was heading down that path until I saw the movie Black Hawk Down. You'd seen that movie? Yep, I love that movie. <laughs> that movie changed my life, man. It planted the seed that almost overnight got me out of the drugs and into the military. Wow. Uh, that, specifically, that that incident with Gary Gordon and Randy Sugar volunteered to go down to set up a def defensive perimeter when the second Black Hawk crashed, knowing that no idea when reinforcements would arrive, no idea of, I mean, knowing that thousands of armed enemy personnel are heading their way, and both of them died. But the guy they died protecting, Michael Duran, is still alive today because of what they did. And they received the Medal of Honor posthumously for what they did. And that just, I mean, it touched my soul, the kind of courage and compassion and warrior spirit that a person would have. And I was living a worthless, selfish life, you know? So after watching that movie, I read the book and read every book I could find on military life and combat and almost overnight stopped doing drugs, decided to go in. And it took me about a year and a half to get in because I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in boot camp. It transports about 25% less oxygen through my body. So I fought my way in. It was post 9-11 world. So here's a young, dumb kid who wants to go Marine Corps infantry. Yeah, we'll find a way to get you in. So <laughs> I got the- And yeah, we'll figure out a way. There's, it's not a, it's not a it's not if we can it's how do we exactly. make exactly 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 <laughs> it was if it wasn't a wartime military i would not have gotten in for sure yeah. so i'm grateful i did it changed my life man marine corps taught me the beauty of suffering it taught me the beauty of living for something greater than yourself and the marines nobody gives a shit about your well-being you live for the good of the group and the mission and the mission and the men are more important than you and it's profoundly beautiful to live in a world like that not to mention of course you suffer and the, the even going to war with myself was 
awesome. It was awesome tapping into that human spirit that I did not really know I had, that we all have within us. But you can only unleash the power when you go to when you step into the arena right when you go to war with yourself so i got big into outdoor sports after that like you name it mountain climbing cave diving skydiving rock climbing nature became my playground to explore the limitlessness of the human potential until 2007 i was deployed to iraq as an infantry non-commissioned officer one of my jobs out there among many was to walk in front of our vehicle convoys looking for bombs before they could be used to kill me and my fellow marines so dangerous job, but uh, <laughs> learn to thrive in the face of fear and struggle, you know, so uh, embraced it, got a lot of, of valuable human experience from that deployment, came back, struggled. I was drinking heavily, diagnosed with PTSD, struggled with depression. I was at a point drinking like a bottle of vodka a day, man. And after binge, like five day binge drinking, drinking sessions, you know, one morning I woke up and was seconds away from picking up a knife and slitting my wrists. That moment was the trigger. It certainly wasn't like that moment, everything changed, but that was the moment that started the climb out of the abyss. You know, it was a wrong, long, rocky, hard climb, but I began delving into neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, doing the inner work, confronting my own demons, going to war with myself in a different kind of way, in a spiritual way to find some answers and um, found my peace. That's what led to my book, Fearvana, the getting into endurance sports, everything from running ultra marathons, like running for 24 hours, running 50 miles around a cul-de-sac, many, 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 many ultra marathons, skiing across Greenland, dragging 190 pounds sled for 350 miles across the ice cap, losing two fingers to Antarctica, now going back to Antarctica. And now what my whole world is beyond the business and the brand Fearvana is training for a solo 110 day, 1700 mile crossing of the entire continent of Antarctica. It has never been done before. And uh, once accomplished, it'll be the first ever uh, crossing of Antarctica without kites or dogs. And that's my whole world right now is training for that. That's insane. I will totally get into that one because I want to hear Lots a lot about that because, <laughs> because I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, I, my mind, my body will break before my mind does when it comes when I got with, you know, that drive and that, then that training and that fitness, that, you know, yeah. I haven't done ultra marathons in that. I'm doing, I'm lining up to my fourth half marathon later this year. Yes, that's um, awesome, the goal is to probably you know, is to do a, a full one here soon. Um, exactly. And that's okay. from a guy who hated running when he was in the police, but yet ran probably awesome. at least two twice a week for the entire career. Uh, so I want to jump back into because I know like, you know, the PTSD and it's a massive talk right now within first responders and military, you know, how fast we're losing people, especially once they come out of the military. What is it? One every hour or every minute or yeah, yeah, 22 a day. I've probably more than that, you know, we're losing more cops to, exactly. to, to, exactly. to, to their own hand than line of duty, uh, you know, and, and that's just people that we know of, not that have gotten out of law enforcement. Uh, can you, do you, if you're willing to talk about it, of course. what was the PTSD lined up to? Was it accumulative or was it one traumatic event that kind of tipped you over the edge or was it, you know, do you know any kind of details around that or is it just, you were just there? You know, when I came back, like I was very hypervigilant with loud noises. I couldn't handle being in crowds. I lost a friend of the war, so I struggled tremendously with survivor's guilt. Um, There's the nature of war. I mean, war is 
the the volume of life is dialed up in war, right? Paradoxically, war is a strangely peaceful experience, like in the sense that it meets a lot of the human needs at the highest level. Like you're doing something separate from all the politics of the war, shouldn't have gone and all that kind of stuff, irrelevant. On the ground, we were doing something meaningful. We wanted to help the Iraqi people. We were doing good out there. So you're doing something meaningful. You're you're doing it with the brotherhood. So the camaraderie, belonging, right? You have tribe. The life, the volume of life is dialed up because you're in an intense environment that could kill you. So you're constantly feeling more alive than you would in the mundane. So when you think about all this and you come back, it's inevitable that like you're going to be, it's going to be an adjustment, you know, but you're way up, what you're way up learned, here and then you come back and you're way down here. <laughs> exactly. And I experience it even today when I come back from expeditions, like when I came back from Antarctica, when I come back from the Arctic, there's always a little bit of a low that follows these experiences, you know? So in many ways, like what I do now, it's a different kind of war in a way, but a different, the transition is very similar. But the problem was, you know, when I came back and was diagnosed with PTSD, and I hit that low moment and started researching all this stuff myself, you know, when I spent seven months in a war zone where loud noises meant death, an IED meant, would, could kill you, right? So I was hypervigilant with loud noises. That's not a disorder. That's a normal human response to war. I struggle with survivor's guilt. That's not a disorder. That's because I had a love for my brother in arms, you know? That guilt was just an expression of love. And so... I realized that post-traumatic stress is not indicative of post-traumatic stress disorder. Those are two different things. Yes, yeah. I had post-traumatic stress as many one as one would going through experiences like that, but the label of disorder completely changes the dynamic about how I relate to my post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And I once I started to recognize this, I was creating that space between the stimulus, right? There's these things that are beyond my control, like in, initially at least, being hypervigilant of loud noises, struggling with crowds, normal human response to war. So that was initially beyond my control. So I start instead of demonizing it as a disorder, being with it, accepting it, sitting with it, sitting with it, confronting it, and recognizing that post-traumatic stress can just as easily lead to post-traumatic growth. So for example, my survivor's guilt, you know, everybody told me not to feel guilty. And rationally, I get it, man. Like in war, bullets fly where they fly, bombs explode where they explode. Nobody can control that, right? But the guilt was not the problem. Guilt is not a quote unquote bad emotion. There are no bad emotions. So reframing it, like what I did was for a long time, I had a picture of my friend up on my wall and it said, this should have been you. Earn this life. My guilt mm -hmm. became my fuel. My guilt became my ally. It drove me to writing the book of Fearvana, to doing something meaningful with this life that I've been gifted. So the beef that I have with how we collectively approach trauma is We've set a paradigm that trauma equals disorder, but that is not the case. Like a great example of this is Dr. Martin Seligman, one of the leading researchers in the positive psychology movement. He went to West Point and asked the cadets, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder? And it was like 95%. And then he asked them, how many of you have heard of the word post-traumatic growth? Less than 5%. So we've created a self-fulfilling prophecy that trauma, adversity equals disorder. Instead of these things you go through, the suffering, the hardship, the struggles, they're the things that make you better. That's the reality. That, that can be just as real as, I mean, even COVID, dude. Every article on COVID was like, COVID is causing mental health breakdowns. COVID is causing post-traumatic stress disorder. COVID is no article would say, we went through some struggle. We are better off as of, because of it. So it becomes this paradigm that anytime we go through struggle, it equals a mental health disorder. And that's fucking bullshit. Like struggle made me better. You know, that's why I seek it. That's why I go into war with myself right now, because that's the avenue for my awakening, for fucking enlightenment. I couldn't agree, couldn't agree more with you, man. There, like I, I, I've done a, I did a post a while back uh, in a police, a New Zealand police like Facebook group, and mm -hmm. it was all around the fact that I, I'm grateful for all the destruction and all the pain that I've caused 
through going through what I went through as a cop. Mm -hmm. The mental, mm -hmm. the mental struggles, the mental challenges, because I would not be where I am right now. I would not have the tools. I would not have the strategies. I would not be able to help the people that I can help now if I had not experienced all of it. Absolutely. Couldn't it's, agree with you more, man. It's it's so it's so it's so you know it, it, again I like the fact that the that doctor I can't remember the name that you said um went into West Point and actually asked yeah. about this post traumatic growth because if you go into war thinking about okay how is this helping me grow exactly it will change how you come back from war exactly same thing yeah. as law enforcement you know I'm a huge yeah. advocate for prevention how do we prevent this you know you know exactly. cops go to war every single day. Roger Whether that. on duty or not, they just never come home. Yeah. Until they retire. I feel you. Well, how do we cops. shift from how do we shift from okay, all this stuff is uh is, is trauma that, that's destroying me to this is all trauma and experiences that are helping me grow. Yeah, absolutely. Just the shift absolutely. to that mindset. So mm -hmm. that moment that you recognize this, was there a lead up or was it just like you woke up one day and you were just like, no more? That moment it that you certainly wasn't like it wasn't like a magical one moment. I mean, even when I broke when I when I hit that rock bottom after, you know, being on the verge of killing myself, I drank a fuckload of times after that. It wasn't like an overnight shift. And then even after deciding to sober up, I drank, I broke my sobriety a shitload of times, you know, so it certainly wasn't a smooth climb. Uh, it wasn't, uh, it was very, very rocky. And that's not like, that was my way. I know some people who, who decided to be sober and they stopped and never drank again. Like, awesome. Point is, this is just my story. And like, even relapsing every time I did, every time I fucked up, I learned something from it, you know, and, and constantly striving to get better. Cause look, life is going to punch us in the face. You know, you're going to be a good way and life will hit sort of some new curveball your way, man. And, uh, and, and then like, I, I had a brutal divorce about four plus years ago. And I broke my sobriety big time when that happened, you know, and I fucked up and I, I don't blame her for it. I take responsibility for my behavior. Of course, it was completely on me, uh, but I fucked up. It was a new curveball that I wasn't ready for and a new challenge, you know, and now, but, but every, every time I've fallen, I've gotten some new insights that have made me stronger and better today, you know, and now I could not be in a better place mentally and spiritually. Have, have you found that as you fall, because yeah, we all fall you know, constantly I fall, you know, I talk about burnout. I coach people on how not yeah. to burn out, you know, yeah. through using their yeah. fitness and that. And there's times where I start to get a bit burned out on things and I go, Oh, wow. Okay. There I am again. Okay. Let's come back. Yeah. Uh, do you find that you sit in that spot for less amount of time now than absolutely? Yeah. You're able, I'm able to now move through now. Not only am I able to move through better, I'm actually like, I, I find tremendous value in the in those emotionally hard places that I consciously go there. So for example, just two weeks ago, I did uh, I did a unique protocol that I came up with myself. There's no manual for this. It I was consciously inducing trauma as a mechanism for post-traumatic growth. I was, I was literally creating, I was having flashbacks and nightmares at night that I was inducing. Like I was making myself go to these places. Now that sounds really fucked up, but let me, let me qualify this, right? <laughs> so if you see- I know, trauma, I, I have an idea of exactly why you did it. So yeah, carry on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you see trauma as, as an access point to post-traumatic growth, why would you not go there? Because like our demons, the darkness we, like my flavor of trauma, if you want to put a call that, we all got our own, right? Different shit we've dealt with in life. Mine is very, 
very, very much war related. So entering that space, like to this day, I'll watch scenes from war movies, knowing they'll tear me up, I'll cry, I'll activate that feeling of that guilt I still felt, but I find value in the intensity of that emotion. Because if you want to live life at its highest level, you want to feel the fucking rapture of being alive, the pure bliss of the human experience, you have to know pain to know pleasure. You cannot know the light unless you have first been in the dark. And like a very visceral experience of that, I think you might have heard me like say this in other podcasts, is I spent 10 days in a complete, in a darkness retreat. And actually before that, I spent seven days, complete darkness and isolation. So, so dark, you cannot see your hand in front of you for seven days, the first time, 10 days, the second time. And when I came out of the darkness, I remember looking at the, the world, looking at the light, and I felt like, I mean, I was moved to tears, right? And I, I remember thinking to myself, this I had this visceral feeling of gratitude for every bit of pain and suffering I've ever experienced in life, because in a very concrete way, I started to know and understand that you cannot truly know the light unless you have first been in the dark. Like, I could not have seen the world through those eyes, the way the light looked, the luminosity of it unless I'd spent in the time in the dark, you know? So that's why now I play on the intensity. Like I go into those edges and I fucking love it. Like I, there's value and you have to temper it. Like you don't want to, uh, you know, if you, like Nietzsche says, if you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares right back. So it, you have to be careful with, I mean, I'm not saying I recommend doing this for most people. You have to have worked through a lot of trauma, like deal dealt with it to be able to then consciously seek it, right? Now this is a result of an evolution of many, many, many years that I can now go there and, and be in there and like literally have nightmares and flashbacks to the point that I'm in, that I'm creating it, uh, I was crying, crying myself every every day this week, like crying myself to sleep, putting myself in these emotionally horrific states because I wanted to go there. And to even add the, the fuel to that fire, I actually ended up doing a six day fast, where in six days of no food, I was trained. I trained 17 hours. Like after the on the sixth day, after five and a half days of no food, I went for a five hour hike in 102 degrees with 4,500 feet of elevation gain. And I was so fucking bad. I was delirious. I was lightheaded. I was cramping. I threw up everywhere. I was nauseous. You know. And I'm not saying again. I'm not like advocating that as a way to do it because it got borderline dangerous. But <laughs> but the <laughs> point is, like, I wanted to combine a physical, visceral experience with the emotional trauma I was inducing. And dude, as much as it was, I'm not saying everybody should do this. Like by the end of it. I was, I was fucking like, I could not have been happier that I did that. And then the next week, like the week after that, that I was doing very, I was playing on the other edge of going into light things, like watching funny stuff, singing and dancing while I'm tired dragging, you know? So you play on all edges of life and the volume of life is dialed, but that means you have to be willing to confront your demons to know your divinity. You have to go into the dark to know light. I'm speechless because it is dead true. You know, I, I use fitness a lot and it sounds like you do, you do as well. Mm -hmm. You get, Very much. you can get to some really dark places if you let yourself when you're training. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and when you Fuck first yeah. start training, those dark places come really quick. And the more you do it like me, I just went, I did a strength training session for an hour and 20 minutes this morning. And then straight afterwards went for a 10 kilometer run. And even that 10 kilometer run, I got to the end of it because I didn't do it at a super fast pace. It was just like, a, it was meant to be just like a kind of cruisy 10 K just getting back into doing, you know, the higher, higher um, kilometers of running. And I was like, I got to the end of it. And I was like, yeah, I got to go further. I didn't this morning because obviously it's in my mm -hmm. training plan. It's like, okay. Mm -hmm. But I was like, yeah, my mind didn't hit places like it did a year ago doing 10 kilometers. 
Yeah. And so to your point of starting places, starting where you're at, you know, there might be things that you need to, that you need to do. Maybe it's, you know, again, getting it in a safe place with other people and, you know, pushing those things. But I love the fact that you finished up with last week, you were doing stuff that was in the darkness and you were playing with the darkness and you were using all the tools and strategies that you have in the darkness and you counteracted it with the light this week. Yes. And I think that's a real important point to point out to listeners and viewers is that you cannot have the one without the other. You can't just sit in the light and sit in the play and sit in that and 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 actually become resilient and, and not get affected by the darkness. If you tap over into the darkness and go, shit, I'm here, let's go. And you know, I, I love it. You've you've reminded me of of needing to step out of places and even myself and not just look for the darkness and the fitness. And I've kind of been playing with this a little bit recently to get back into like the the drive with business stuff and that I need to actually sit in that, tap into that, okay, let's use some of the darkness to fuel us, to to drive us, to 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 make us stronger and better and more powerful mm-hmm. and successful in a in a way of like you said, sit in it mm-hmm. with the intention of growing from mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like one way to think about this, I call this creating like deliberate, de- de- deliberate disequilibrium. So in life, there is a series of dualities that encompass the human condition, right? So there's light and dark, masculine, feminine, life and death, ego, humility, contentment, discontentment, pain, pleasure. There's all these seemingly opposite forces. And we often demonize one side of that, right? Pain is bad. The darkness is bad. If you look at stress and recovery, stress is bad. Ego is bad. But that's the problem. None of these none of these polarities are bad. Both sides have value. And if you truly want to attain not just like spiritual peace, but find live a greater life, you have to play on both edges of both dualities and find the value in both because then you will see that both these seemingly opposing forces can coexist as one. So even Fearvana, like my book, my brand, that's the idea that fear and Nirvana, two seemingly contradictory forces are in fact complementary. And that fear is not the antithesis of Nirvana, Fear is an access point to nirvana. So at every point in life, I'm always looking for a duality to play with that whatever side is causing me friction, I'll go play on the other edge of it. So to make that concrete, like I remember once I went for a run and I saw a sign that said 5K fun run. And I had visceral disgust at the idea of a fun run. Like you don't run for fun. You should just suffer every run. And that wasn't healthy. Like that was not a good thing, right? Like you obviously should, like it's fun to like enjoy runs sometimes. Sometimes you absolutely should suffer and you should not enjoy it. There's value in that too. But the point is I recognized that I was bringing suffering into like all areas of my life. And I was constantly bringing it in even when it was not needed. And so what I did was if you look at the duality of suffering and play, I went hard into the other edge of play. I would do runs where I didn't even take my watch, just fucking have fun with it. I would do light things, watch funny things, be more playful in life. You know, like even if I went to a retreat, I would do like dancing and super light things. And like, look, I'm clearly someone who will always lean on the edge of suffering, right? If, if you look at that particular scale of suffering and play, that's why I do the things I do. But by going onto the other edge of play, I now have new weapons in my arsenal because every single one of us, we don't know what we don't know. Right. So we're all trapped within our lens of the reality, within how we think about the world. If you want to expand beyond your current lens of reality, which you have to if you want to attain something you've never attained before. Right. If you want your life to get better, you got to do something you've never done before. So to expand into a new realm of reality, go play on another edge of a duality. So even when I'm into the darkness, I'm a giant control freak. Right. Like my world is in my hands. So if you look at the duality of control and surrender, I was playing with surrender. 
surrender to the dark and let instead of trying to control the experience surrender and see what the darkness will reveal to you and it revealed um, a ton you know even playing out in nature nature is a beautiful experience of surrender you don't conquer antarctica you never conquer a mountain you just conquer yourself in the process right like as edmund hillary said it's not the mountain we conquer but ourselves so you surrender to what it reveals to you and when you align with that when you surrender to it that's how you actually move through it you know but at the same time in nature i feel so powerful because i'm even out there playing in that arena so control and surrender can coexist. Ego and humility can coexist. All these seemingly opposing forces, they can, and not only can, but they must coexist if you really want to find a greater well-being and greater inner peace, even enlightenment. Dead true. So here's a question for you because I know there's a lot of law enforcement, military out there that are, you know, they're in that dark place or, you know, maybe they're on the trajectory to there or they're, you know, they're like, don't agree with it in some way. Mm -hmm. First thing, what would you what would you say to them? And secondly, I'll just let you answer that, and then we'll go into the second one. Okay. So if you're in that dark place, you know the the thing is you cannot come out of it without doing the work. It's not going to be easy. The problem with our collective approach is I want to get out of this in the easiest, quickest way possible. And I get it because the shit's hard, right? Like I'll give you a concrete example again. I was on this interview and somebody called in. They were they had been through the Boston bombing and she was very like hypervigilant again with loud noises. And so we were, we were chatting with her trying to help her. And at one point I said to her, the next time you feel anxious when a loud noise hits, I just want you to actually pause and acknowledge the emotion. Just lay, I'm feeling a little anxious. Don't do anything, just sit with it. And she was like, yeah, but that's really hard. And I go, exactly, it is really hard, but you can't get to the other side of it without doing the hard thing. So what anybody who's going through the demons, who's wrestling with it, you have to go to sit with those demons. And that requires stillness. Carl Jung once said, people will do anything no matter how absurd to avoid facing their own soul. And the human experience right now could not be more evident of that. We do fucking everything we can to distract ourselves from ourselves, you know? So be still, confront that, sit with it. And it's literally as simple as sitting with it. You could go into a dark room. I could not recognize, recommend that enough for anybody. It'll be far from easy, but what you open, when you open, the point is you have to, as Carl Jung also once said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fade. And I cannot, like, the, the, the value of this, right? Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So you have to go within to bring the unconscious conscious. And that means sitting still. It means doing more meditation, journaling, doing things that are going to be horribly uncomfortable, especially when you're dealing with the darkness. You could get outside support, go to a therapist, go coach, but you have to get a coach. You have to find a way to, to deal with those demons, to bring them to the surface and then you can start using them. You can finding value in them. There's some shit. I don't like it when people say just get over it. Like there's some shit you don't get over. I'll never get over my friend dying in war, but but I'm not living in a miserable life either now, right? Like I'm not drinking myself stupid, but that's not a that's not something I'll get over. I'll, I'll learn. You're not, to use you're it. not dwelling on it. You're not dwelling on it in a way exactly. that is destroying you. You're, you're exactly. using it to help you expand exactly. and grow and move forward. Exactly. And then you have to create that space. Like I said, right, when I when I was navigating PTSD, right, I had post-traumatic stress, but that's not who I was. That's not like that, just because I have this thought and I have this feeling, which is not my not within my control, I could choose to be someone else outside of it because we are not our thoughts. We're not our feelings. We're not our experiences. We are the thinker of our thoughts. We are the feeler of our feelings and we're the experiencer of our experiences. There's a space between what is and who we choose to be outside of what is. Like right now, if somebody comes into this room with a gun and points that gun at me, I'm going to feel fear. I'm not choosing to feel fear. My brain is responding to that external stimuli, 
right? So the fear is beyond my control. Most of what happens in our brain is without our control. We all have those crazy thoughts. And we're like, where the fuck did that come from? You know, if I'm driving down the road and I'm like, I'm going to cut somebody cuts me off. I'm like, fuck that guy. I'm going to kill him. That doesn't mean I'm a murderer, right? Like that's not who we are. That thought happens, but you don't have to be defined by it. So you have to master that space between reacting to a thought and responding to it. Like there's a thought, there's a feeling. I'm going to respond to it instead of reacting to it. And that comes with a lot of practice. You answered the second question that I had around the first steps to kind of do this, you know, is that recognition that, you know, that, that sit with that, like you said, the anxiety, just sit with it for a second, you know, especially if it's in a place where it's not, uh, you know, the, it's not somebody coming into the room with a gun, you know, you can't really yeah, sit with yeah, that anxiety. Exactly. For... <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, yeah, you know, but when it when after that experience, then kind of go back and be like, Oh, okay. And you know, and actually sit with that fear, sit with that anxiety. Uh, so you know, obviously a lot of my you know listeners and viewers are law enforcement, have to do with law enforcement, aspiring law enforcement and first responders. But I feel, and, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of military and that my cousin's military, uh, you know, I've, I've had people on that, you know, knows Navy SEALs and that. And a lot of them, you know, recognize that law enforcement in a way is probably harder than military because you never get to go home. You never get to step away from where those threats are. You can't change that environment. You live in it. You eat in it. You breathe in it. You take your family in it. Mm -hmm. How do you think, you know, with, with your learnings and, you know, the way that you do things, and I couldn't agree more, uh, do you believe you can actually, you could use those while you're in the fight? or while you're preparing to get into the fight, preparing to get into law enforcement, because we're in that all the time as law enforcement, you know, I still live in the area or live down the road from places that I used to, you know, go to burglaries, go to, you know, domestic violences, yeah. you know, I had knives pulled on me. How do you, you know, live, you know, use this philosophy while you're in and amongst it? You, you always have to hold on to the meaning of why you got into it. That why has to be constantly ever present. So for example, right now on a board behind me, it says pay your debt today. This is not a fucking choice. And I have a things of list of like how I'm training for Antarctica. So for me, like when I was in Iraq, my vehicle drove over an active ID that didn't explode for some reason. My friends drove over a bomb and it exploded and he died, right? And I've been blessed to a great life. I was born to good parents automatically as a result of that. I've been best, like a better life than most people. Like I've volunteered in post-conflict zones. I've worked with survivors of sex trafficking, with former child soldiers, people in poverty, leper colonies, and all these places. And you see people in hell on earth and often outside their control just because they're born there. And so I look at my life and I believe I owe a debt for this life that I've been gifted with, that I've been blessed with. And I hold on to that fucking reality, right? So the point is, if this is your world, you get a choice, right? Like at any point in life, you can control one of two things or sometimes both, your actions or your attitude or both. So the foundational is not being a victim. Like you're not, nobody here is a fucking victim. Now we can have things that happen to us beyond our control that we, very, we are like, you know, victimized by like horrific things that happen to the human experience, right? Sex trafficking. And obviously it's not their fault, but when you come out of that, you don't have to hold on to stay in a victim. So you got to take ownership over your, even as a cop, like I'm making a choice to be here. And if you don't want to be here, there's a choice you can make. You can change your actions or you can change your attitude. Like in Iraq, I didn't have a, I mean, I made the choice to join the Marines. I volunteered to go out there. 
But while out there, I didn't have the freedom to control my actions, right? Like if they, if I was exhausted and we sent on a mission, I don't give a fuck that you're exhausted. Go on the mission, right? So I, I and the first six weeks of my of my deployment, I was like pissed off, upset all the time. And then I was like, look, I can't control my actions, but I can't control my attitude in response to it. So what's the meaning I'm going to create to it, right? Like finding value, you have to hold on to that meaning. And that shit has to stay in the forefront of your consciousness all the damn time. And then coming back to the concept of dualities, balancing the stress with recovery. And there's always a way, like doing things to channel that the, the emotional stress, the physical stress. Even if you take the example of physical stress, right? You know, you work out, but when does the body get stronger? During recovery. It's the workout when you're actually breaking your muscles down. So similarly, as just as the body needs recovery, so does the mind and the spirit. So I call this joy islands. Like imagine you're living in a dark, like in a fucking dark sea, right? Everything is everything is horrific, especially as a cop. Like you said, you never really come home. You're constantly surrounded by this shit. So you're in this dark sea. You got to find and create joy islands. So even in Iraq, for example, I actually started running ultra marathons in Iraq, as crazy as that sounds. Our deployment, we were an infantry marine. So we, we were out the wire every fucking day maybe in my seven months we got seven days off if that but sometimes i'd wake up early and sacrifice sleep just to go running around this tiny fob in the middle of the iraqi desert for hours just because that was my stress recovery you know or like in iraq often we would we would find you have to find things like i have a picture of me and my buddy watching a music video on our ipod uh, between you know between deployment between missions or whatever finding ways to bring a little bit of levity to the intensity and it's on you to create that that the oh, the foundation is taking ownership. If you victimize yourself, you're not gonna fucking change. And it's very, this is gonna sound like like it, some people who who hear this get very offended because it's very alluring to be a victim. It's very alluring to stay in a victim mindset. Like, oh man, you no, you don't understand me. My shit is unique. Like, you don't get it. If you start finding yourself saying things like that, you are victimizing. Instead, got it. I understand. I'm in a stressful, shitty situation. This is rough nobody's like it's not that this is not coming from a lack of compassion if anything it's more compassion to help you get out of it like i get it like god knows i get the stressors of it right in my i've never been a cop so i can't say it entirely but in my own just experiences the marines and other stuff that i do but point is to say that don't start with that like i'm taking ownership i can control my actions or my attitude if this if this job is no longer giving me meaning anymore then fucking it's on you to find a new one or to find value in it right it's on you to create your reality, whether you can change your actions or change your attitude. So taking that ownership, creating joy islands, and then holding on to your why, holding on to your meaning. And when you're creating that meaning, you want to use both the darkness and the light. So for me, like I use the guilt that I have, like that's the darker side of it. This is the debt that I owe for the life I have. But I also have the lighter side of it, like the world I want to create, right? The gratitude for this life that I've been blessed with, who, who I want to be, the impact I want to make, right? So we're planning on to, to, to tap into my why, to tap into that, I'm using both forces. And I think often when people tap into why, it's only using the light, like, oh, this is what I want the world to look like. This is how I want it to feel good. And that's not bad. Like you should do that too and feel grateful and all that good stuff. But you tapping into the darkness is what's missing when people create the why, at least in my experience as a coach, as doing a lot of personal development work is using darkness in your why as well. Cause we've all, especially if you're a cop, especially if you're uh, a military, you've dealt with a lot of dark shit that most people on earth can't fucking fathom. Use yeah. it, hold on to that shit, like find power in it. Cause it has a lot of power. The funniest thing is that from what I've experienced, you know, helping over 600 people with their mission to join law enforcement, mm -hmm. Most of them want to solve some sort of traumatic thing that they've either experienced or been yeah. or have seen. It is the mm -hmm. darkness that they're fighting for. Yeah. yeah. But it, then it ends up ultimately, once they're in, destroying them.
because they yeah. realized and that's I why you gotta balance it with the light you also gotta <laughs> hold on to the light as well and coming to your point about can't solve it like you're not going to fucking save everybody i've lost junior marines to suicide i've lost some of the people closest to me and uh, and obviously that shit is hard but that's why you have to fall in love with the process not the payoff that's the biggest another huge mistake i see in our approach to well-being is like this thing will make me happy when i get the house the million dollars the relationship the car you will always have problems like one of my many mantras is progress is not the elimination of problems progress is the creation of new problems whether you have zero dollars or a billion dollars you're going to have problems so fall in love with the process of systematically overcoming problems fall in love with the process of transcending a struggle one struggle at a time if you wait to get there wherever the quote unquote there is the house the money the car this that and the other thing to be happy you're setting yourself up for a life of misery definitely all right, let's pivot just for a second. I want to know what what's your what's your life why, Akshay? I know you'll have whys for you know the Antarctic trip, which we'll talk about in a second. For yeah. you know joining the military, what would you say your life why is? So the words I want on my tombstone is he brought light into darkness. That's my that's my north star. That's my compass. That's my why. Did that from my learnings and from my you know from what I've done from you know learned from a lot of research and that I believe it comes from early on in our childhood would you say that's true for your why like would i say that's true as in like am i living as in as in do you believe that your why stems from like the seeds were planted back you know when you're very young for that why i don't know i think it's evolved over like to to even to even to have the clarity of crystallizing it into one liner like that Mm -hmm. was relatively recent that it got crystallized in that way but i don't know if it came from child because i was i didn't know I didn't experience a dark childhood. I had a great fucking life. I think it's the darkness I sought out to some degree and the darkness that I then experienced some, you know, without seeking out like the war stuff uh, that led to it. In my case, not to say this is universal, but like, because my, I almost like, like again, when I was born, my parents weren't very wealthy, but we certainly weren't poor, like middle class. You know, now they're doing well, but I had a relative, at least in my own personal experience, even if they went through financial struggles, I never experienced it. So I had a relative silver spoon in my mouth, but I threw that shit out and learned to crawl in the dirt because I wanted to go play on the edges of the human experience. So I think the why developed as a result of crawling in that metaphorical mm-hmm. dirt. That makes sense. Makes Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Yeah. Tell us a little about a little bit about this uh, Antarctic trip. I'm, I'm curious on like one, where it came from, how you kind of came up with it. And then two, just tell us about it. Yeah. So I, uh, starting about where it came from, I got into polar travel and polar exploration after the war. My first big polar journey was dragging a 190 pound sled for 350 miles across Greenland and minus 40 degrees. It's like a condensed version of what's coming up in Antarctica. That was my first polar journey. And, and then I stopped doing polar travel for a long time because it was after Greenland that I hit that rock bottom and, you know, all got into building business, fear von, all that stuff. But I remember actually, I don't remember writing it, but recently I read my Iraq journals and in Iraq, I remember, or at least it was in my journal that I, one day I will do a never before accomplished expedition in Antarctica. And the crazy part is, man, that like, I don't want, I don't remember writing it. And I had never been on a big polar journey at that point. Why the fuck would I want to say, say that? I mean, I'd done outdoor sports, but I'd never done polar travel. And so now like the, the part of the draw is this is the biggest, like, this is the last remaining great challenge in Antarctic exploration that hasn't been done. A lot of shit has been done, but to do a full crossing without dogs or kites has never been done. So part of the draw is expanding the limits of human endurance to a level that's never gone before, you know, uh, pushing that edge to such a dark, such a intense level. I mean, I will be 110. So to, answer, to go into the second question of like, 
so getting into polar exploration in some ways inevitably led to this because it is the last great feat that hasn't been done. But the draw even in polar exploration is that out of all the sports I've pursued, and I've done a lot like mountain climbing and all that, polar exploration is not as dangerous as mountain climbing, but it's a lot more suffering. Out of all the sports I've pursued, nothing is as much sheer suffering as polar travel like at least in terms of voluntary suffering like seeking it out nothing it's way tougher than being in the like my experience in the military it is just sheer brute like one polar explorer in the 1900s he said polar exploration is at once the cleanest and most isolated way of having a bad time which has been devised uh, <laughs> and it could not be more true so as weird as that oh, sounds yeah, I, 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 I'd, I'd agree <laughs> and you know you're, you're very similar to me where it's like okay how do we find things that make us suffer even more so that we can grow exactly. from it <laughs> exactly because that's the point man you have to battle the dragon to fight the to find the treasure the greater the dragon the greater the treasure so the sheer mental physical and spiritual suffering is it's and you know the suffering is not the reason it's the means it's not the purpose the purpose is what it gives you what it gives you is transcendence what it gives you is access into the human soul that you can't access without such great suffering and solitude so what i'll be doing is i'll be spending 110 days completely alone for many portions of the journey i will geographically be the most isolated human being on earth dragging a 400 pound sled for 12 hours a day in temperatures as low as minus 40 degrees. I've lost two fingers to frostbite in Antarctica before. And it's one of the most savage, unforgiving environments on earth. And uh, dragging this sled to hopefully pull off a 1700 mile coast to coast crossing of the entire continent. Okay. How do you even train and prepare for something like that? So the core training is tire dragging. So I have these, Brad is, Brad's familiar with it, our mutual friend, Brad. He's seen me do this nonsense where I have a big, heavy tire and I go around like a local parks here in Arizona, especially during the summer when it's like 110 degrees right now. Plus it's fucking brutal. So going tire dragging is the core training because that simulates the sled, but a lot of strength work, a lot of mental prep work. Like that's a big reason why I went back into the darkness for 10 days, you know, obviously doing like doing things like meditation, mobility work, strength work. I'm, I'm also training to get, I have to get fatter. So it's really weird because you have to train strength, endurance, and do it while you're fat. And none of those three things go together, you know? Uh, so, but I need endurance to drag that sled for 12 hours a day. I need strength to drag that heavy ass sled. And I need fat because I'm going to lose a shit ton of weight out there. I'll be eating about 6,200 calories a day, but I'll be burning over eight to 10,000. So I'm going to lose a ton of yeah. weight. So I need weight to bulk up to lose, to have weight to lose. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's all a lot counterintuitive. It's, um, yeah. so little backstory in me which i don't think many of the viewers would even know is when i was growing up sailing you know around the world with my parents i got really into racing and I actually i got mm. really into solo racing like i was doing a lot of stuff on my own wanting to like i was practicing single handing our own boat our catamaran uh wow. and then i was wanting to get into doing um solo racing mm. life circumstances changed at 1920 and ended up here in new zealand kind of lost that passion uh, a few years later uh but I want to do what I don't know if you're familiar with the Vendee globe, which is a solo nonstop around the world. So you start in France, you go down, you go around the world and back to France without stopping all on your own. Good. Holy shit. Wow. That's so that's sick, what bro. I wanted to do. So when I heard that you were doing this on your own, I was like, oh, okay, cool. That mental right, stuff is, yeah. it comes into the, everything. The isolation. You know? I love that you do that. The solitude, in addition to the suffering, the isolation allows you to go places that you can't otherwise go. Like in the silence, no really, 
Yeah, no distractions. You start to hear. You you hear the. I mean, to me, call it what you want. Call it the universe, your subconscious. To me, I, I I call it God. But you hear the. You hear things you don't get to hear in pure silence, and that those that dialogue with God is profoundly beautiful. That's why I ride a motorcycle. That's awesome, brother. Because yeah. it's the only place that, like, literally, you can't distract yourself. You have to listen mm-hmm. to, you, and you have to let things go. Otherwise, it distracts you. Yeah, and you can't yeah. you can't you can't survive in the twisties you can't survive you know i love being solo on twisties and doing long days of twisty riding because it yeah. just again it's a place that you can't get away from yourself and those little yeah. voices and those little things will pop up right at the time when you don't want it to pop up and you have to acknowledge it and let it go you have yeah. to listen to it and let it go um yeah so how are you preparing like obviously this is just kind of getting into the details of it as, as such, but how, how do you obviously out in the middle of nowhere, there's going to be times where rescue is just nothing like goodbye. <laughs> so, how, you know, so on the, the, sorry, go ahead. Finish the question. No, go. I was going to, I was going to say, how do you, how do you counteract that? How do you prepare for that? How do you mentally even prepare for that? Because, yeah. you know, that comes into that whole kind of, you know, the, those, those demons, are what can burn you out can stop performance can stop all the you know all the all the thing it can stop everything how do you prepare for that is it even a a, a thing that's on you know that you have already overcome or yeah yeah well the, so the fact is that you actually can get rescued for most of the journey there's only like two glaciers where they the plane can't land like when i was in antarctica last time and i got frostbite plane came and got me and i got evacuated that's why i said it's not as dangerous as mountain climbing but uh, so the rescues for most part is an, a possibility. Now that also is very dependent. Like if there's bad weather, nobody's coming to get you, right? If you lose your tent, you're fucked. Like, but that really shouldn't happen. Like I'm training enough. Like <laughs> if I'm gonna lose my tent, it's my own dumb ass fault. So you, but things like that, you lose your tent. I mean, it's obviously not safe, but it's not as dangerous. Like that's so just yeah. to kind of give the paint the picture of polar travel because you might not know. Like for example, in mountaineering, like when I was on Denali on the 16th ridge at 16,000 feet, there's a section. It's the 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 it's such a thin ridge line, one foot in front of the other, thousand foot drop on each side. Right, that's dangerous. You yeah. could fall and die. <laughs> Somebody did fall. A thousand, he had a, a person fell a thousand feet when I was on Denali. And so in polar travel, you don't have things like that. So, but the, the, that's part of the challenge because when you're on a thin ridge line like that, the environment forces your mind to be present. It forces you in flow because yeah. you're right there. In polar travel, you're literally just skiing into empty, flat, white nothingness day after day after day. In mountaineering, as you go up and down a mountain, the yeah. terrain changes. The views change. The, 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 it's more dynamic. You take rest days to acclimatize. In polar travel, you're literally doing the same damn thing, dragging that heavy sled in empty, flat, white nothingness. So just think about that, right? Like flat, white, walking in flat, white nothingness with no stimuli for 12 hours a day with a heavy ass sled behind you. The mental monotony of that is fucking brutal. Like I've had moments where an hour out there could feel like a lifetime. And I don't even think there's anywhere in the desert that you can get that. It's it's damn like in, it's very hard to get a place with literally no stimuli, because even in deserts, like when I've done hiking, for example, when I go hiking or even mountain climbing, yeah. the the views are dynamic, right? It's engaging, beautiful mountains, things to see as you go up and down. The views even change. Antarctica, like places like this, it's just flat white nothingness, and the sheer monotony wow. of that is a fucking is a it's a mind fuck. But that's again part of the draw. So, uh, is that is 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 the so- and it's mentally like challenging, but. Sounds like you're on top of all the mental, physical, you've got all that kind of stuff sorted or plans to sort into that. 
that's I a big reason a... why I was doing that trauma work, why I play on the edge of light, because what I'm doing when I do all these things is I'm giving myself weapons to access when I go inevitably go into the pain cave, the quote unquote pain cave. I'm giving myself, I'm teaching myself to tap into the darkness, to tap into the light. Because sometimes when you're out there, you just want to be playful, singing, fucking light, having fun. Other times I want to remember the debt that I owe for this life. And like, even when I went, I did a 167 mile run across Liberia. It was just under a marathon a day for a week across the country. We were raising funds to build a school and all this stuff. And I remember like day four of the run, my um, my shin hit started aching painfully on like eight, it was 18 miles into the day. And I tried like massaging it, put some cream on it. It wasn't going away. So I started limping and just, just the physical pain, but the psychological, fuck, I got three more days left of this. And then I just started sprinting. Something took over me and I started sprinting. And the whole time I was saying things to myself, like, remember Neil? Neil's my buddy who died in the war. It should have been you that died out there and said him, suck it the fuck up. If you quit now, you deserve a coward's death. People are suffering all around you. Earn this life. Earn it. You know, saying these very dark things to myself. But those five miles I ran were the fastest five miles I ran the entire trip. Now, I didn't talk to myself like that the whole time. But because I had brought my demons to my surface, to the surface, I can now use them as allies in my arena, as allies on my battlefield. I think that's a key. I think that's a key thing for viewers, you know, listeners and that to, 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 to touch on as well. It's so often like you've talked about already. It's so often that we demonize these things and we say we shouldn't tap into them. Exactly. Yeah. There are times where you need to tap into them, especially as law enforcement, especially as military, especially 100%. as a first responder. You have to tap into these. Sometimes we naturally do it because of the type of people that we are, the A-type mm -hmm. personality. We tap into them and mm -hmm. just go. But if you can logically actually grab them from the shelf and pull them out, you actually are in more control of them and they won't destroy you afterwards when you come out of it, come down off of it. Exactly. exactly. And so by being able to tap into that, you're actually giving yourself more tools on your tool belt than you ever know. Exactly. You know, we had a, we had an officer get shot here. It was just over three years ago. Now uh, he was shot and killed here and his partner uh, who's more senior to him also got shot, but didn't die. He actually, I went to, I went to training with him. And so I knew him more than just, we went to training together, you know, we had talked and, you know, I, I texted him and caught up with him afterwards and that, and you talking about this, tap me into that. I, I remember tapping into that straight afterwards and using it for quite a while, actually. And even still, mm -hmm. sometimes I tap into him and be like, he's, he's, he suffered and he sat there and gurgled in his blood, you know, died, didn't die quickly. Jesus, if he's if he if he can do that and if he, uh, just remember his fight, remember his fight. This is easy compared to his fight. One of the when it comes to dealing with death, Harold Kushner wrote this book when why bad things happen to good people. And in it, he says one of my favorite lines when it comes to dealing with the death of people we love, the dead depend on us for their redemption and their immortality. You know, and I could waste my life. We could waste our lives thinking of like feeling bad about my friend who died. You could fit. Or we could honor their death by living this life with the fucking greater meaning, you know, and honor them, immortalize them through our deeds, you know. So exactly. that quote hit my soul, and I think about my buddy often, and very much a lot, everything I do in the in the whatever results I've achieved, he's played a role in it, you know, and he's immortalized through this work. Yeah, it's it's you know I had a female partner of mine get assaulted, and she left the job. She's you know still alive and everything, but I still think about for years that day demonized mm -hmm. me it destroyed me I understand now i mean. use it and i go because of that day i'm doing what i'm doing now live it beautiful beautiful
Yeah. So Akshay, I know that there's a financial side to this and I know you're, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for sponsorships and people to, you know, donate to GoFundMe page, which we'll put the link down below. What does it cost to do this trip? Yeah. What, you know, the financial implica implications and, you know, how far off the target are you? So the crossing costs $750,000. It's a very, very expensive journey, not just a number I randomly make up, made up. ALE, who's Antarctic Logistics and Expeditions, they manage all logistics for explorers in Antarctica. This is what it costs because you're flying to some of the most remote regions. These flights, like the flight from Union Glacier Base Camp to my starting point on the other end of Antarctica alone is like a two hundred dollars to $250,000 flight because it's multiple fuel stops, like small plane. And, and then like normally the Antarctic season is 85 days. They have to extend it just for me for 110 days. So there's a crew of like a doctor, a support team, a pilot, all of that kind of stuff collectively, the flight alone to Antarctica, you know, all of this stuff adds up. And so we are looking to raise funds. Like I'm all into this. Like I have dropped over $300,000, $400,000 my own money for previous expeditions. We're creating a documentary around it, but I'm fairly stretched thin now. And so we're looking to raise money and get outside support through a crowdfunding campaign um, to support and make this happen. Not just for me to do it, but for the stories we'll tell, we're filming a documentary around it. I mean, it's like the four minute mile kind of thing, right? When when one person shatters the limits of human endurance, it changes our collective collective thoughts on what's possible for ourselves. It evolves the human spirit to new heights, you know? And so there is a story that we'll tell, like all the lives that have come before me that have touched my life, we we will, and I and I get to make this impact already. I mean, I wouldn't be able to sit here, have this conversation with you and say the things that I'm saying without having experienced it and without lived it, right? Like I wouldn't be able to talk this way had I just read a few books. So I get yeah. to open doors into the human soul, but I pay off the debt for my life by bringing the treasures back from the edge to others to help others. And so I need all the help I can get to make it happen. We have a crowdfunding page at greatsoulcrossing.com. That's great, S-O-U-L, soulcrossing.com. And anything, I mean, $9, $30, any little bit adds up. Uh, you know, you get a bunch of people donating $9, it adds up. We've already raised in through online donations, 28000 And I've got up to 195000 coming from other large donors um, that that are that is coming in within the next week. So, you know, we're, we're close to 250000 but we still have half a million to go. So we have a large number to go. But, you know, if 10,000 people donate $10 or, you know, I mean, like, it all adds up. So if we get large, you know, a few people just donating whatever you can, it really helps. And on the crowdfunding page, I also have a bunch of things that I give away. Like I have a series of trainings that all with all my mindset stuff that I've taught, like we've touched on, but I have deep dive trainings on dealing with trauma, dealing with uh, how to navigate the pain cave, all kinds of stuff like that uh, for different donation tiers, just as a expression of my gratitude for whatever, you know, whatever people are able to contribute. Uh, there's giveaways, kind of things like that on the, on the crowdfunding page. Oh, that's awesome. Akshay. Yeah. So we'll put that link down below, you know, make sure if you're listening, you know, go, you know, donate whatever you can, like Akshay said, you know, $10 here, $10 there is, is going to make yeah, a huge difference. Um, so no, I appreciate that Akshay. Uh, Thank you for asking. Thank you for sharing. Oh, no, of course. You know, this is something that I know my dad was into mountaineering. My, my uncle owns Yates gear. So, you know, deals a lot with harnesses and, yeah. and that, and you know, there's, yeah. there's all sorts of different, uh, you know, I've done rock climbing that I know how it, it's not a cheap, it's not a cheap gig no, to no, do, especially, not, yeah. especially when you're trying to do 119 days across the Antarctic and yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Akshay, last last question i always like to ask is what would you say your top tip to self-happiness is stop chasing happiness don't look for happiness look for meaning chase a struggle find a struggle what i call your worthy struggle 
you know, worthy struggle could be a cop. It could be writing a book. It could be playing the guitar. Find a worthy struggle, create a meaning on that path. Because if you look for happiness, the whole notion of pursuing happiness is deeply flawed. Because when you pursue happiness, then suffering becomes a barrier to the journey. When you pursue meaning, when you pursue a struggle, then the suffering you inevitably experience is part of the adventure. Okay. What's your top tip to finding meaning? Finding, you know, meaning. To finding meaning? Play in the arena. Stop like I don't like the um the note the 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 focus in self-help world about overcoming limiting beliefs. Fuck your limiting beliefs. Like you don't have to believe you can do something. You have to step into the arena and go to war. Like, dude, I didn't believe I could finish a five-hour hike after I, I don't so most of the things I like I can't I don't know if I can do it, but fuck it. I'm gonna go to war and see what happens, right? So you develop it by stepping into the arena. Like one of my many mantras is stretch and reflect. So stretch, go to war, push yourself, and then come back and reflect. Like that's another mistake I used to make. I would just do one hard thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. But now after every one, I reflect. So I come back, okay, well, is this for me? You know, like I said, I've tried every outdoor sport you can think of. What led me to pursuing polar travel is by stretching, reflecting, playing in the arena, going to war, figuring out my path. And then you figure it out. Like, I didn't know this is who I wanted to be till about 33, 34. Now, if you're one of those kids, like I have a friend who figured out she wanted to be a chess grandmaster when she was like four years old. If you know that, great. Good for you. Awesome. Like own it. If you don't, then then fucking go to war and you'll figure things out. Stretch, reflect. Is this my path? At one point, I wanted to go career Marines. That path changed, but I have no fucking regrets about joining the Marines. It's one of the greatest things of my life you know so stretch reflect and then when as in that process of reflecting start asking yourself is this my thing is this my worthy struggle is this why i was on here but you have to pause coming back to what we talked about earlier to be still you have to pause Mm -hmm. to have those have that dialogue with yourself with god whatever your you know universe whatever you want to call it whatever your paradigm is um and then you'll start doing it and you'll start figuring out okay this is my thing this is my why and once you find it fucking uh, pursue it obsessively like let it consume the entirety of your soul, you know, let it become you. And then in that process, you'll say, this is my thing. And maybe you'll eventually you'll say, okay, like after I do Antarctica, I want to focus on more normal things in my life. Like I want to focus on building the brand. I want to have like <laughs> the, a, challenge, the challenge will be family. being what is normal. <laughs> being normal. Exactly. Like I want to focus on having a family and all that kind of thing, you know? So, but this phase of my life, my world is com- consumed with Antarctica. So you could think also think about structuring your life in phases, you know, but get clarity on what is your philosophy? Like, what's your, why, what is that North star? What words do you, and a good way to think about it is what words do you want written on your tombstone about you? That's a good way to say that when I died, am I, and then once you have that, but again, the only way to discover that is by being in the arena, going to war and then figuring it out on the process. But once you have that nailed down, then you always say, am I living that, right? Like, am I living that path? Am I moving towards that? When I look back on my life on the day of my death, can I say I lived this way? Yeah. But you got to keep uh, pausing to reflect along the path. I call it debrief. You know, that law enforcement debrief, type thing. Exactly. Debrief, yeah, same thing debrief everything. Debrief. Yeah. I love it, dude. Debrief. Same thing. Debrief. Exactly. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. mission in Iraq. Exactly. The good, the bad, the ugly, the what did we do well? What didn't we do well? How do we learn from it? Love it. Love it. How do we, love it. how do we make sure we repeat the good and how do we make, you know, and how do we make sure that, you know, we, we overcome the things that we don't like that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, To that point, like all growth is two things. Find the problem, fix the problem, find what's working, do more of it. So while you're in this arena, just constantly be looking, what am I doing? How can I do more of it? That's working. Find the problem, fix the problem, systematically overcoming one problem at a time. And there'll always be problems. That's not a bad thing. No, no, it won't be. Awesome, Akshay. Any last words before we wrap up? Uh, just keep chasing the struggle. Suffer well, you know. Most important skill to master is to smile in the face of suffering. So you have to suffer, though, to make yourself trained to be able to smile in the face of suffering. So seek I love it. it. There you- 
there you go. You know, so, you know, face suffering and just keep moving, man. Just keep moving. It's the, it's what it is. It's life. Um, and you know, keep growing from it. So this is fight the burnout. Uh, I want to thank Akshay for, you know, taking the time being here with us. Um, I look forward to, you know, watching your journey with, with Antarctic, with the Antarctic, uh, challenges and struggles and, and, uh, growth process, uh, because it definitely is thank one. Uh, and, you know, thank you for pushing the boundaries of what we know is possible. You know, it's, it's one of those things at the moment, no. especially in the world in the world, as we know it right now, people aren't pushing those challenges, you know, in, in, in growth ways where you were destroying lots. And, uh, we need to, we need to consistently look at how do we grow and evolve, um, together, uh, not as an individual. Mm -hmm. Uh, so as I said, in the very beginning, take one thing away. So I want you to go to your notes. I want you to go to what, what, you know, what you wrote down or what you are thinking and processing in your head. And I want you to just grab onto that one thing. Like we talked about today, that why grab onto it and just keep focused on it, keep moving with it. And that's how you'll start to take action on it. Uh, and as you take action on it, then you start to become an expert at it and you start to be really good at it. Akshay wouldn't be doing what he's doing today if he hadn't gotten laser focused on things and taken tremendous action. So without further ado, this is fight the burnout. Remember train hard, test easy. If you need any assistance at all, you can either reach out to Akshay, his details and how to get in touch with him. He'll be, will be in the description of, of, of this uh, podcast, wherever you're watching or listening to it, or you can email us at create from why that's create from W H Y at gmail.com or go to create from y.com and have a look at what we offer till next time. Train hard, test easy, and stay safe.